know, where I had to abate some rent. You know, it depends. Well, that's the problem. The tenant, what I didn't know, did not have a lease agreement. They were on a week-to-week basis. Okay. And we, I did not do my due diligence and figure it out, which ended up. Here we are now, fast forward now, we went back to the home. We thought the current tenant was gone. We knocked on the door and someone brand new opened it up. And we said, who are you? And they, he said, I don't know. I've been paying rent here. All right, well, pay me the rent. How much I'm not paying? Leaving. So get the gun. He said, I'm not paying. he said, I'm not paying it to you, though. Who's he paying it to? The current tenant that we thought was there at the time, but that tenant's gone, disappeared. And I don't have a key to the place. Um, so I guess we labeled him as a squatter. So. All right, listen. You know, there's two ways to handle Well, the problem is you can't evict nobody right now. Okay? That's, 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 everybody knows it, right? Right. Okay. And, you know, I mean, I don't think, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't, the guy who sold you the house screwed you. I mean, because he should have been collecting rent. Wasn't he collecting rent? He he was collecting rent. This was right before Corona stuff happened. He was collecting rent. Sounds like the a scam. The tenant was apparently good. Can you listen, hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. But listen, that guy, yeah. listen, that guy, if he, well, is there any way of reasoning with the guy and having a meeting with him say, listen, here's, let's, just, let's just discuss this like to tell you. With the guy who's in there? Yeah. And say, listen, no, I, un- I blew problem? it. I blew it. I lost my temper, and I ended up going to uh, an attorney because I called. I called the police department, and the police department stated, if I don't have a key, there's nothing I can do. But if there's any way I can change the locks before he comes, there's something I can do about that. But it was risky because there was a dog in there. Um, and then he said, if he has proof of residency and you change the locks and he provides a letter of any sort, then it's going to fall on me. You know, the problem is because of this goddamn virus right now, you can't evict nobody. Because otherwise, you say fucking evict them. But there's no way that, I mean, does the guy want to pay any rent? I don't think he's paying rent to anybody, to tell you the truth. I'm just no. telling my opinion. No, I, I think he's just screwing no, I you. It. You know, um, so, you know, the biggest problem is you're stuck right now because it's goddamn virus because, I mean, otherwise, unless attorney's smart enough to figure it out, you can't make no deal with the guy and say, listen, you know, I'm a victim here. You know, I bought the house. You know, you're supposed to be here paying rent. You know, and, and if he ain't got no money, say, listen, there's money out there. I'll help you. I'm telling my managers right now, if the tenant didn't pay you the goddamn rent, you go knock on the door. I don't care if you got to drive them and take them to somewhere. They got to file an application online. Go somewhere and file it. I don't care. I used to do it. 
and, and, and get some assistance. There's a whole uh, bunch of people giving uh, rental assistance right now online for every single county. The county's doing it. The state's doing it. Everybody's doing it. So, you know, yeah. I mean, if you could try to at least have somebody go there and meet with the guy or, you know, or you try to telephone the guy first if you get his number or something or, or, or leave a, a note there, please call. I don't know. You know, the attorney's going to tell you, no, don't have no contact. But, you know, uh, but I don't he, know. What's the, the attorney claiming he's not protected under the eviction moratum, uh, uh, the, the Santos eviction law? Well, then what's the attorney going to do about it? What's he going to do? Called, he said he said he's going to get him out. But yeah, it's going to take... It's going to take how it's long? Gonna take, huh? How long? Days. How many? 60. You're lucky. If he gets it done in 60 days during a fucking virus, then you, he, you're he lucky. Said, he, said that, he said it's just based on the court systems. But I said, uh, I think the, the court systems put, are backed up. Yeah, and plus they're not putting but, people out right now. Anyway, you could try that. But, you know, I talked to the attorney and said, listen, maybe let's try to settle with this guy somehow. You know, either give him a few bucks to get the hell out of here or stay here and pay the fucking rent. You wanted a tenant in there, didn't you? You bought it for income, or what did you buy it for? Oh, it was supposed to be just a flip. A flip. Renovation and a flip. How could it be a renovation and a flip if it was occupied with a tenant? And you had the to get a company was, to lease. They were going to get out. Well, were, but you're not supposed to. They were going to get out. Well, the problem the is sold the, it. the person that sold it to you, you shouldn't have let him get his money until you went. How did you buy it? Didn't you inspect it when you were there? Didn't you go through the house and inspect it? Yeah. And you yeah, saw there was a the tenant, tenant there. Well, you shouldn't have. I you, knew, yeah, I, knew, I met the tenant. You met the tenant and it wasn't the same person? No, when I went the other, when I went two weeks ago, it was someone new. Fuck that. Who's paying the utilities? Screwed, Who's paying the utilities? Huh? Who's paying the utilities? That I don't know. I don't know if it's on his name. Oh, you're but not paying. They it. said that if it is, it's going to be a disaster. It's not me though. I'm not on the utilities. And the attorney didn't Listen, advise to switch it to the yeah, right. switch okay. mine. No, no, utility. no, no, no. Don't do that. Listen, you better let the attorney do what he can do. But in the meantime, he took a thousand dollars. So, uh, you know, everybody's trying to make money right now. But listen, there's no guarantee with the court system. In the meantime, say to the attorney, hey, does the attorney, anybody have any contact with the guy living there right now? No. Nobody? I saw him face to face, but I blew it. Uh, I lost my temper. And. Well, that's, you need to try to, I don't know, you know, talk to the attorney, see if he can reach out to him, send him a letter or some bullshit, try to contact him, send somebody over there, uh, you know. I, I don't there know is no say. lease agreement. I know, but it could be a verbal agreement, and, you know, who the hell knows, right? Now, listen, if it, Okay, I need a joy. <laughs> so... I know we did. I know you, you got me. You got me. I mean, okay, I'm going to wait till you give me the promo code that you give everybody else. <laughs> but, I, yo, count me in. Okay, listen. I will be in orientation with you. Okay, so let's join this thing together. Let's, uh, let's graduate together. You know what I'm saying? Let's graduate through the ranks by building seven, eight, ten uh, figure businesses. So, all right, cool. I'm a, I got I to do a quick commercial. Okay, all right, let's go. Because um, this episode is sponsored by The Morning Meetup. 
themorningmeetup.com. It's the only community that gathers every single day, Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the betterment of entrepreneurs. Suspect so what we do is every, every month we have a theme. So this month, the theme is the millionaire mindset. And we're interviewing millionaires. I was going to ask you, but it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Where you at? But we have a lot of people from Cali. Mm. But you be on Clubhouse till 3 o'clock in the morning. So <laughs> I go to sleep when you... You got to get me soon as soon as I'm about to go to sleep for a quick 30. You to sleep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I've just been interviewing millionaires, like just mm-hmm. to identify how you think. And we came to the conclusion, man, you all think differently. Mm-hmm. You see things differently. You see stuff in pictures. <laughs> you, you still got to explain the picture thing, man. Yo, I'm still um, trying to figure out that, that absolutely. analogy. So, um, um, so some people's minds are very cloudy. And it, it, it's clouded with, um, with all the stuff from the day, all the stuff we see on Instagram, all the, like, I can't really see the whole picture on how this thing's working out. And I get super frustrated because I don't see the finish line. Mm. But if you can see the whole picture, you can see all the trees. You can see the sky is blue. You can see there's a car that's red. You can see, like, everything that's in this picture and even before it actually happens. Mm -hmm. So you can put it together and say, hold on. There's a picture I see in my head of how this thing's supposed to work out. But what's going on right now, that red car that's in the picture in my head, it's not there. We need to put it there. Mm -hmm. Meaning... I see in the picture, we're supposed to be, first year, we're supposed to be at um, $100,000 a month. We're not there. What do we have to do to make sure what I see in reality looks like the picture in my head? Mm. And I'm working on that. I'm working on completing the vision and and being able to see what's what's missing in reality Mm. versus the dream. I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm foggy because I need to be at the court. <laughs> <laughs> I need to see, see what I'm saying? Like, you got to get in there, 100%, 100%. man. 100%. Gotta, you know, the way you come in is the way that you leave. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, come in, ready to go. And for the sake of That's this it. particular commercial, the morning meetup is the yeah. best way to be yeah. Oh, um, hey, but just keeping it, uh, I, I want to be clear. I'm an amazing coach, okay? However, we've uh, we built some really good things. But I, I always think, um, even I was talking to you, you was like, yo, I don't feel like I really made it yet. And I, no matter what level you're on, we had this debate that I don't feel like there's a moment. There's not like this big moment where you feel like you made it because – Whatever you're doing right now, when you're looking at the Master P's and the Jeff Hoffman's, mm-hmm. you may feel accomplished, but you feel like there's more in you because Jeff is pulling you, right? And by the time you get to where Jeff is, Jeff might be somewhere different. And you're like, ain't He's no like catch Jeff. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. <laughs> He's like, come on, nah, yeah. like there's, there, there's more in there. So yeah, Jeff, like Jeff is the reason why we can print out boarding passes. Like he invented that. What? Yeah. He invented the machine that prints out the boarding pass. He invented that whole system. 
People used to have to wait in a long line to wait to the counter to get their boarding pass before he invented those little kiosks. What? Yes. He introduced me to Jeff. Can I get him on the podcast? I think about that. You said you got to ask. <laughs> and I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to be persistent. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I'm trying to get him in my network. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, go to theboardingmeetup.com. You can join me, my successful friends, and hundred literally every morning is hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs that are gathering every single day. And every month we have a theme, every book. I mean, every month we have a book club. So we just finished Richest Man in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And there are people who haven't read a book ever from cover to cover. Mm-hmm. And because we're breaking it down every day, they're finishing books. It's really, really amazing. So go to themorningmeetup.com. You can start just for, you know, give you a little something special. You can start for just $1. Just $1. Try, test it out. Actually, I think I learned that from you. I did learn that from you. Mm-hmm. Remember, we were on the Power Circle call. Shouts out to the Power Circle. Be a part of the Power Circle. Powercircle.org. Powercircle.org. Power Circles, with an S, because we all in Power Circles. Org. 100%. We were on the call, and you introduced me to the $1 trial. Mm-hmm. You said, yo, you see the freaking picture, Spec. You said, yo, just give people an opportunity to test it out, mm-hmm. to see if they like it. Mm-hmm. Do the trial for a dollar for seven days. And I said, you you could do that in ClickFunnels? You're like, yes. And you're like, yo, just click here. Da, 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 da. Got it. Yeah. That's why you need to be in the environment. And ever since that, um, we brought in hundreds of people. It's, it's, low, it's low entry. When you can make a consumer come into your element without thinking twice, mm-hmm. you won. Because it's nothing going to stop them. When you can remove the resistance, the resistance is either three things. One, they don't see the value. Two, they don't feel like it's a good fit. Three, they don't have the finances for it. They don't see the value. They don't feel like it's a good fit or they don't have the money. Exactly. How to get, how to find their budget. Y'all thought I forgot. I did not forget. Y'all must have forgot. <laughs> I did. I ain't going to lie. That's why I was trying to control the company. No, I don't mind giving it. I don't, I don't mind giving it. So this is what I tell this is what I tell a lot of people, right? When they go to the website, um, you have an order form. Mm-hmm. You have you have the name, information, stuff like that. Um, but when you put estimated budget of speaker, like bro, when you put that there, you let them tell you what they're willing to pay. If they come in lower, if they come in and say, Hey, my budget is, you know, fifteen hundred, but you know your starting price is twenty five hundred. Then you get on the phone. Hey, I see your budget at fifteen hundred. My starting price is actually twenty five hundred. How can we make this happen? You know what I'm saying? And then you you put the ball in their court. Oh, and sometimes they'll say, Oh, I really didn't know what to put. Twenty five hundred is totally fine. Or they might say, You know what? We're strapped. We're tired of one school. We just don't have the funds. Then you have an opportunity. But that that right there, literally, bro, changed my life. You know what I'm saying? Like I knew I was going to do really well. I kind of proud of myself, like, I'm making doctor money. Like, one of my best friends is a doctor. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what I'm saying? He making 120000 I'm like, I'm making doctor money for a year. Yes, sir. But when I did that, I looked up in, year, like, year two, year three. I said, yo, I'm making doctor money every month. I was just like, you know what I'm saying? 
Because when they start saying I got eight grand or I got 15 grand, I was just like, ooh. Let me show you. I'm going to show you the, I'm gonna show you the, um, the picture if I can find it. This is probably at the very top. My very first, uh, mm. that's the only three ways, the only three reasons why somebody wouldn't buy from you. So with this dollar chart, here's, oh my gosh, because I didn't know why. I, I figured I was doing it because, you know, we just kept, like, let them taste test it, right? Mm-hmm. But in this way, I can identify, well, they can identify, oh, this is a good fit. Because in their head, they don't they don't know if it's a good fit or not. Mm-hmm. But for a dollar, um, a dollar, they could do it. They can see the value because, all right, for seven days, you're going to get a, a, a freaking conference for a week. Mm-hmm. And then they realize, wow, that I have the money mm-hmm. because even after that, it's only $79. But they'll say they could be able to compare. Oh well, for the value for sure, seventy nine bucks is nothing. Done. That was the dopest commercial we've ever given. <laughs> so go to the morning meetup. <laughs> Golly, I love this interview. Go to the morning meetup.com. I can't wait to see you in the morning. Okay, Spec, I gotta ask you. Um, before you give us something deep on the closeout, um, I like to make predictions on predictions on the podcast Mm -hmm. and I want to know where you see yourself in the next five to ten years so that I can watch this interview five to ten years from today and say Mm. yo Speck said he was going to do this and look he actually did it Mm. it's actually dope I like that in five years five to ten five years my school is definitely going to be one of the most talked about schools on the planet. That's mm. one thing. Second thing is, in five years, I'm going to have some major product wins. What does that look like? Products that everybody, at least one of them that everybody has to use. Like, like right now, everybody... Like the passport joint? Like, like, is that what you think? Like, similar. Yeah, something like that. Like, something that... Like, I need this. Like, Uber. People need that. You need Uber. Come on. Now. You need Uber. Gotta have Uber. Amazon. Like, I need I need Amazon. I need that. It's gonna be mm. at least one thing that I create that the people will need. Mmm. And that's going to be my moment I talked about. That's going to be your moment. Five to ten years. That's going to be the moment. I love it. I love it. And you don't even know what it is yet. I might have it already. Do you have it? I might have it already. Do you think you, is it like something that you're thinking of, like that you're working on that you think you got? Or you're just saying, 
in my life, there's something that I'm missing that I won't see just yet. I think I have it. I'm working on something that's going to disrupt the world in terms of putting money into the black communities Mm. for ownership. Can I be a part of that? You said your ass, Close, bro. bro. You, 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 I'm going to be consistent, <laughs> too. I'm going to be persistent. <laughs> you already my man, so. <laughs> yeah, but listen, you will be a part of it, though. Mm. You will be a part of it. Um, and 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 this is, this is one thing that I talked about earlier. It's called social seed, where... We're going to have it where people get to actually have ownership in products, viral products, big products, products that's killing it, that they would never get the, they would never get the opportunity. When you try to, do you know when you try to invest, you got to become an accredited investor? Right. You know what that means? You got to have over $200,000 or... And it doesn't even count your house. So if you got a million dollar house, still on matter. So it's either two hundred thousand personally or three hundred thousand, with your spouse included, or over a million dollars in net worth. Not what average? House. What average? So if you see a good deal that you can literally take advantage of, you as an intellectual can't even take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Because they have systems in place for us not to take advantage. Because guess what? We all ain't got that. Do you know what's so crazy? And not even too long ago, Obama finally made it to a point where um, where um, you can create smaller crowdfunds. He created some bill mm-hmm. that kind of unlocked it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Not yet, but you know, like he created because it was it, it was like illegal. But now, I think it's um, or he either it's something where like the little guy can get into it. Somebody's going to comment and be like, "David, you're an idiot." But yes, but no, that's this is the point I'm making. Is like they put things in place to make sure we don't get what we deserve. Like, why I got to be a credit investor? Yeah. You know, it's like, I know it's little other little reasons people going to come up with. Oh, no, it's because it is. No, no. I feel in my heart, it's so certain people don't get into certain Big plays mm-hmm. to get to where they need to get to. It's like the music industry. Whoever was the puppet at the time. I walk out to school. I got my book bag. I see one dude in the hallway. He's like, yo, that's some real sh- I was like, that's what's up. You know what I'm saying? He was like, no, nah, for real, bro. That touched me. I was like, that's what's up. I said, what's your name? He told me his name. He's like, yo, bro, you changed my life today. And I hear it all the time. And I never take it for granted. But I was like, that's what's up, man. He's like, no, nah, for real. I want to show you something. So I walk with him. And he go to the bathroom. And so he was like, yo, come here. I'm going to show you something. I'm thinking like. <laughs> in the bathroom? <laughs> I got to show you something? I'm thinking like, bro, this is so weird. So I like walk to like. 
close to the bathroom door, but I'm still in the hallway. Right. So he go to the star. He's like, yo, come here, come here. I don't want nobody to see this. And so he, like, pull up his shirt and his pants. I'm like, bro, what you on, bro? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, just like that, like, bro, what you on? So my man pulls out a half a pound of weed and was in tears. And he was just like, yo, I thought this is all I could do. I thought this is all I was worth. All my uncles, my dad, like, this is all I know. He's like, but you showed me something different. And as he's talking, he's stuffing it down the toilet and it tries to flush it. The toilet's about to overflow. I'm trying to scrape up the weed before somebody come in. Like, the most dodo, but heart, like, amazing experience ever, bro. And my man was like, yo, I'm turning over. I'm changing my life today, starting today. And he was like, I'm thank you so much. Like, that stuff right there, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't put a, a dollar amount on that. Like, that stuff right there, I'm like, man, if that don't move you to say, you know what, I got something inside me I want to share, or whatever you do. Like, everybody's purpose is different. Some people that might not be... And the answer was that the uh, people in the military police were way more satisfied with that than people in the Air Force. This was very puzzling because almost no one got promoted in the military police and everyone got promotions in the Air Force. So why would people be more satisfied in the military police? Well, the answer is that so many people got promoted in the Air Force that getting promoted was meaningless, right? Um, so few people got promoted the the median condition in the military police was not getting promoted. So if you didn't get promoted in the military police, you're like, well, no one is. It's fine. If you didn't get promoted in the, mil in the Air Force, oh, man, you're devastated because everyone's getting promoted, right? And if you did get promoted, it's like, who cares? Everyone's getting promoted. So it's like, do you see that the, the <laughs> it's this totally inverted thing. You think that you're making life better by promoting everyone, but you're not. You're simply creating, you're simply altering the set of existing expectations. Um, so the, so yeah, I don't know whether you can, um, messing around with hierarchies is a very, 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 very tricky business, and it's probably better just to try to avoid them when you can. Thanks. Uh, go ahead. Hi, Malcolm. Thanks for coming in. Um, my question is a little bit around, I guess, your media diet. Obviously, as someone that writes a lot about social science, you have to go through a lot of academic journals. But what I was actually really interested to see was that you had a really, I think, cogent and, and fluent conversation with Bill Simmons, often on his blog, about sports and different topics. So I was wondering a little bit about your media diet outside the academic journal sphere and like how you kind of keep your mind and horizon broad across yeah. different topics. Well, I'm a huge sports fan, so there's an enormous amount of consumption of sports-related stuff. Uh, and um, particularly these days, I, I spend an enormous amount of time watching obscure European track and field meets on sort of live streams at 2 in the morning. Um, so there's that. And then, uh, but I think, you know, my strategy has always been you can't, you have to very consciously differentiate yourself from where you think your professional peer group is going. Um, so the, to the extent that people are my, 
to the extent that people migrate to things that are accessible online, I feel I should migrate to things that are inaccessible online. So the value, or to the extent that people stop reading books and read, I feel I need to read more books. Um, so I've been what I've been trying to do is to kind of, it's why I spend a lot of time in actual physical libraries reading things in hard copy because there's a kind of a serendipity that you get when you, this is not in any way meant as a criticism, by the way, of search engines, for example, <laughs> which are incredibly useful, but they are, but they, you know, they also have limitations. They reward a certain kind of serendipity and they punish another kind of serendipity, right? And if you really wanna, if you're interested in serendipitous learning, as I am, much of what I uncover is uncovered serendipitously. You have to be a student of all of the different mechanisms of chance encounters with the unusual and the insightful. And so that means that not only do I spend a lot of time screwing around online on databases, but I also very, very consciously make sure that I go to physical libraries and walk through the stacks and even something as simple as you're interested in one book and then you go and you just look at all of the books that surround it, right? And the connections are not always, the connections are, there's, there are connections between them, but it's a different kind of connection than they would be connected online. It's not a keyword connection, right? It's a thematic connection or it's a, so there's all these sorts of, you have to be a student of these kinds of, um, of the of the different ways in which ideas cluster, um, and so that and I've been I've thought a lot about that in recent years as a way of distinguishing myself from um, other journalists. Thank you. Hi, I have a quick question. In your last uh, book, Outliers, you spoke about uh, the advantages of you know whether it's being born in a certain year or having access to the earliest computers and stuff like that. And in this book, you have a whole new section called the disadvantages of being advantageous. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you see a contradiction or if how do you reconcile the two? Yeah. Well, I have several answers to that question. Um, uh, so there's clearly a difference between, the notion that I play with in this book is called desirable difficulty. And desirable difficulty is a class of, uh, of difficulties that have paradoxical outcomes that force you to do things that end up being advantageous. So um, there's, a whole, there's a whole school of, uh, of research around these people at UCLA called the Bjorks who try and uncover specific examples of desirable difficulties. A good one would be, for example, a simple one would be um, studying strategies uh, the, to the extent that you can make your studying process more difficult, you will retain more information. So the Bjorks have these beautiful data that says if you're learning um, something very complex, um, the best thing to do is to learn it in small chunks. So say I have three tasks that 
require mastery. I have two choices. I can master the first, master the second, and master the third, or I can break up all the learning into 10-minute chunks and do 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes, 10 minutes. They say do the latter, even though it's harder, even though you have to start over. Before you guys got like into a relationship relationship, or was it the relationship first and then you guys teamed up together? So it was the relationship first, and um, you know, part of what brings us together um, are our commonalities. So we both have an interest and a background in Asia, and that's the region that we were working. So we were in different offices, but the same region. And so we both had, um, so I was, uh, I lived in Japan from the ages of two to six. And I spoke Japanese when we lived there, and then we moved back to the States after that. So I had this, you know, my like, my like pivotal, my growing years were in Japan. So I had this, yeah, so I had this really strong What were you doing in Japan? My parents, my my dad's Venezuelan, so my mom met my dad in Fort Lauderdale, moved with him to Venezuela, I was born there, and they converted to Buddhism, a Buddhism that the sect is, um, it's the Nichiren, uh, Nichiren Shoshu Buddhism from Japan. So they had friends who had already gone to like explore this Buddhism more in Japan. And my parents were trying to figure out how to get there. My dad found a school that did, um, had a master's in architectural photography. So he enrolled in the school. He like learned Japanese, enrolled in architectural photography school, and they just took us. Well, I was just me at the time. So yeah, my, my mom, I'm two, and my mom goes halfway across the world and... They, they like adventure. That's my super parents. cool. Yeah. <laughs> and you learned English and Japanese. I mean, you were obviously old enough yes. to already know English, but you learned Japanese at a very young age. Yes. Yeah, so Japanese, Spanish, and English were my first three languages, which was interesting when I moved back because I moved to St. Petersburg and um, I my second grade teacher <laughs> tried to hold me, no, my first grade, my first grade teacher tried to hold me back because she said that knowing so many languages made me slow, <laughs> which, you know, that's, it was 1986. That's okay. Um, but my mom pushed back, and I ended up in gifted class instead. <laughs> so, um, Teach their own. Exactly. <laughs> but ever since then, I was, you know, when we got to the agency, you know, I, I, want, I had Spanish... I was like, I can pick Japanese right back up. I had enough of it. And that was my interest. And then Andy has Chinese. And his um, he has a degree in uh, East Asian studies. And so we had this common interest in that region and in working the targets in that region. So it was natural for us to eventually end up working the same targets. I don't think we were ever at the same time in the same office, but that doesn't mean that we weren't working the same targets, if that makes sense. Like, um, for example, they'll have a regional office that will do Asia, but then they'll have another office that does a subject matter like counterproliferation, mm-hmm. right? So you can be 
have two people, one in a regional office, one in counterproliferation, and then they overlap because counterproliferation happens everywhere in the world. So that's how it ended up happening. And where are you guys at at this point? Like, where is the CIA headquarters? Like that you guys, where's the building that you guys are working at? So we were in Langley at the main headquarters. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And we were there for quite some time before, you know, doing TDYs and things like that. So. And how long was it before you guys actually went out into the field and went to Asia together? So we. And where did you guys go to China? Uh, we, I. I you can't think, say? Yeah, we can't say the exact location. Oh, Asia. Okay. <laughs> Asia, okay. Um, but we did a number of TDYs separately. Um, so we had started traveling for the agency almost as soon as we joined. Oh, okay. Right, like he, him going, you know, I would go one country, he would go another country d- at different times as the office, as the mission dictated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, eventually I, I knew that I wanted to be assigned overseas, um, for a longer period of time. So I started, you know, just putting a little bug in my manager's ear, like I will go literally anywhere. Um, I was like, Ulaanbaatar, I don't care. Like just send me overseas. Um, I wanted the excitement of being in the field because it's the work is different, right? Like headquarters work is slower field work. Like you are on the ground real time, like stuff happens, you know, like, um, where we were, there was a, like a small terrorist attack while we were assigned there, you know, and I'm like, it's action like stuff is happening real time like i'm working with the foreign service there um you know it's just incredible so we i think we were together i think we were together three years um before we were sent out for a long assignment and that was it was amazing what is it about about Asia and those cultures that excite you or interest you? So I think a lot of it has to do with my childhood. Just the fact that I, because my first memories are of Japan Mm. and because my parents are Buddhist. So even when we came back, that culture continued. Um, It's just comfortable for me. I like so I, I definitely feel American. I am definitely Americanized, but I also have this very strong, like I understand the, the culture of putting your community before yourself, which is very Asian, right? Like Americans mm. are very independent. Um, you usually put yourself before others. But in Asia, like when, like when coronavirus started, Because your habits create your character, and your character determines your destiny. As we learn from our mutual mentor, you know what I'm saying? Like, success will take you there, but your character, your gifts and talents will take you there, but your character will keep you there. But it all starts right here inside the mind, so we got to have a strong belief system. Because I remember when we used to school, you would see the little posters that say, if you believe it, you can achieve it. Bro, that's facts. That was a bar. We thought it was corny. We thought it was cliche, but that's real. 
That's real. So when I began to believe I could do these type of numbers, when I began to believe I could travel the world, bro, my wife looking for homes down in South Africa. I was like, boo, come on, boo. She's like, oh, you don't believe? I was like, I have to check myself. Like, bro, don't be a hypocrite. Like, do you believe? People got to believe. And so to everybody that's watched us, everybody that's listening right now, like, I need to believe in that power, that purpose, that potential, that society. You God has an amazing plan for your life if you believe. What do I look like trying to, trying to determine where my life going to go? I ain't that smart. I ain't that talented. People talk about a five to 10 year plan. That makes sense. And it sounds good. But for me, I'm not even smart enough to figure out what I'm going to do with my life. Right. That's why I wake up at 5 a.m. and I seek the face of God. Like, what you want me to do? What you think is the best play? And then I run that play. Like, that's how people can go to the next level. So it starts with the belief system. And then you got to put that work in every single day. Because my brother Brian, I hear no more. And if he was here, he'd be putting that work in. So I felt what I look like feeling tired, what I look like feeling lazy, what I look like talking about what's not comfortable to me. Comfort don't pay bills. You know what I'm saying? So we got to be willing to put that work in every single day. So let's go get in. Let's be great. Listen, can't close it out no better than that, man. Do me a favor. Make sure you follow Jeremy Anderson. Okay, shoot him. Every time, right? You go 10 minutes, 10 minutes, and you come back to the first thing, and you're like, oh, what was I doing again? It was like this re-entry problem. It's like the re-entry problem is not a problem. It's why you will remember and master it way better. It's forcing you to your brain to kind of go into a different mode. So they so the idea is that yeah, there's a set of things getting access to if learning programming is requires ten thousand hours of mastery and you're in a condition where access to computers is constrained, early access to computers will be an unalloyed advantage, right? But that doesn't mean that there aren't other situations that we can find um, where what looks like where access to something um, preferentially may look advantageous and not be advantageous at all. So my discussion of dyslexia in the book is all about conditions under which dyslexia can, not knowing how to read can be advantageous. Why? Because the strategies that you might follow to work around your reading problem can end up being more helpful to you than reading. So I I have this long thing about the David Boys, the lawyer who basically can't read and as a result developed an incredible capacity to listen and an incredible memory. If you're a trial lawyer, believe it or not, it's more important to have an amazing memory and be a incredible listener than it is to know how to read. Right? Not if you're a litigator or a corporate lawyer, but if you're a trial lawyer, yeah. Not if you're a sorry, corporate lawyer, but if you're a trial lawyer. So we can clearly, I don't think it's, we can clearly say, look, there are desirable difficulties and there are undesirable difficulties. Um, that said, on a broader macro level, is there a possible contradiction? Yeah. But <laughs> so what? Like, we're all, we're all adults. I don't know why people are so terrified of contradiction. I think contradiction is like, it's fine. I mean, I can identify hundreds of contradictions in my own life. All of you can. It's, in fact, I've, I've recently been, I've gotten so interested in this, I've, that I'm doing, I was, this next project I'm working on is all about the centrality of contradiction in human behavior. And that instead of, the idea has always been that as human beings, what we seek to do is to 
locate and extinguish contradictions. I think that's nonsense. And there's a lot of very interesting social science research which suggests, to the contrary, what we do is we exploit, we aggressively exploit our contradictions. They enable us to do all kinds of, not always good things. Um, so I'm very interested in, I was talking about this at lunch, very interested in this notion that um, we are sometimes behave generously or proact or pro-socially towards an outsider group in order to justify turning on them in some future situation. And I, the, I have this, this the, the, the incredible example of this is Adolf Eichmann, the architect of the final solution, who spends the 1930s pretending, not pretending, convincing himself that he's a Zionist. He uh, reads books on Zionism, he goes to Jerusalem, he uh, hangs out with the rabbis of Vienna, he uh, teaches himself Hebrew, and he does this, and what that means is that when it comes time to, and he's responsible in the 30s for deporting thousands of Jews from Vienna to Palestine. What does that do? It enables him, when he, when he turns to exterminating Jews, to be able to say to himself, in his grotesque way, I don't hate Jews. I was deporting them. I was saving them. I was reading Hebrew and going to Jerusalem. And, and at one of the death camps that he sets up, he builds a library and he imports Judaica from a prominent Jewish library in Prague. And he would go and visit this place, this grotesque concentration camp, and sit in the library and read ancient Hebrew manuscripts. Right? He, at his core, this man had a massive contradiction. And he wasn't driven to resolve it. He used it to justify everything he did over the course of the war. Right? Now, that's a horrible, extreme, grotesque example. But my point is that we all have within us these contradictions. And I, I, I think that's part of what it means to be human. And just as you can use contradictions for terrible ends, like Eichmann did, they are also, at the same time, the ways in which we explore new ideas and expose ourselves to risky things and do all kinds of things that are ultimately positive. And if you're not willing to tolerate contradiction um, in your own life, I think you're, you're, you're um, limiting yourself in a certain sense. Um, uh, you're also running, you're running huge risks. In being, you know, like Eichmann route is the risky route, right? But at the same time, Someone who insists on that everything be absolutely consistent is leading an impoverished life, um, I think. Um, so I, yeah, I try to resolve this all time. Thank you. Why don't we take one more question? In the context of Google and the innovator's dilemma that you mentioned earlier, when you are a giant, how do you stay a giant and kind of towards the book not be slayed by a David? Oh, wow. Well, 
you know you will be eventually. Right? Um, I mean, give me an example of, you know, there is these, what's fascinating about, so in your space, there's kind of IBM, which does this thing which in retrospect seems... And on that, yeah, once they see that, it's real, it's legit, and I ain't just talking out my net, man, they shipping them things off. Now, I have to sign a service agreement and right. all that good stuff, and I was cool and all. But I didn't exchange any money until I got my money from the federal government. Wow. And as soon as they, the government got it, they paid you. That's why I had to, that's why I had to be at a net zero because I had to pay the uh, authorized retailer. Gotcha. Now, if they, if I put some money up front, then I could have did a net 15 or something like that and waited for it. Right. But, but since, since it was no money exchange, it's basically a handshake and they, they got the valid contract. Yeah, I need my money ASAP because I don't want them calling me. You know what I mean? So I was at a net zero. $75,000 to order some iPads, bro. There's more of them out there like that. That's nuts. There's more of them out there like that. Yo, I made $30,000 a year at the Cheesecake Factory. I had to work 40 hours a week. Jeez. 40 to 50. You was balling. I was at the gas station <laughs> working... <laughs> Making less than <laughs> Yo, I would have took you up. I was at fifteen thousand a year. Half a decade. Come on, man. <laughs> man, don't switch the sweet guy want this. Newport man want that. You know what I mean? Blow pop kid want this. Like, Yo, that's man. crazy. Yeah. Yo, yeah. congrats on your success, I man. I appreciate it, man. That is it. crazy, bro. I think it's I think it's important too. A guy coming from where I come from with the information that I have, I, I got it. I got to share it. Because if you listen to how most people talk about government contracting and federal government contracting, they speak of it as if it's a daunting task. Yeah. If it's, like, it's so hard. I definitely think yeah. it sounds scary to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how most people think about it. God, it's not that, It's not that difficult. Understand the process. Understand that everything can be middleman. Mm -hmm. The government allows us to subcontract every single contract that they have. You just got to put the pieces to the puzzle together. What's your vice, man? What now, is your vice? Now is is hooping mm -hmm. and traveling, man. Really? Yeah, hooping and traveling. Like I try to go to places domestically just to see what they hoop game like, they hoop situation. Man, I'm like that. You ain't no hooper, man. Bro. I'm tough. I, hit, I told you I hit you. I'm like, man, hooping them Jordans. <laughs> when you leaving? I can stick around, man. Hold on, bro. <laughs> nah, we, it, it, I can it stick might, around. might have to get funky out here, man. Let me... I, can, I can stick around. Okay. We might be on the... Uh... Okay. <laughs> set it up. Set it up. Well, you might just set that up. Set up. Is he nice, Jose? You ever seen it? Yeah. yeah but he showed up to the gym in like these jeans and uh and harachis. It was oh, crazy. No. It was like there's like sweatpant jeans or something like that. I'm like, yo, Jose, <laughs> what is happening right now? So uh nah, all right, so um 
travel? Do you travel with your wife a lot? Uh, dang, that's not, crazy. Well, not. Dang, dang. <laughs> said, oh, I yeah. mean, I mean, you gotta that that's why I surprised you. That's my thing. I yeah, gotta yeah, get away. Got, but you got peep game too. People are calling me to, to come out there to teach them my process. Oh. So I'm going out there to work, right? So I'm going out there to work. You two, pull up on your students? Yeah, pull up on them. Yeah. I mean, not just everybody gets the Not course. everybody, yeah, yeah. Not every, I don't pull up on everybody, but if it's a group six or more, I'm pulling up. Oh, so if it's like a group of six people that got the course or whatever. Yep. And they say, and hey, they we city. need higher education. Or they say, we purchased the course, but we want you to actually come out here and teach us real time too. I'm there. We should do something in Atlanta. Let's do it. We should do something. Let's do it, man. Yo, do, do it. So there will be a link in the um, in a dis, in our description, and you can use promo code Social Proof. Again, I don't know how much it's going to be. I'm going to negotiate. Be good at negotiating, so I got it. We're going to negotiate. The I'm a good one. Discount. I'm a good one. I'm a good one. I'm a good negotiator. We're going to negotiate the biggest discount possible. Yeah. And um. Yeah, man, let's 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 try to set up these little meetups, man. Especially if gr- that's dope because like groups can get together and kind of iron sharpens iron. That's what you I'm feel saying. me? That's what I'm saying. Then that's what I told you. Like I can speak about it all day long, but when you bring somebody else in that's actually listened to the information, understood the process, and received the result, right? It ain't nothing better than that. It's nothing, it's nothing but, like, I get overwhelmed when my students say, I won my first federal contract. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. Knowing that it took me three years with no help. Yeah. And now I'm able to help people condense their time frames. Yeah. I just get excited, man. Yeah, that's yeah. lit. Yeah. And I think it's lit because you got rich from government contracting. And then now it's not like, yo, the... The money people pay for the program is is not your funding your lifestyle. Right, it's like yeah. you you're really like just giving a blueprint for us, right? Us, right. our people. Peep game, clubhouse. People will reach out to me off of a clubhouse meeting room, mm-hmm. and they ask for phone calls. Oh, can I talk to you for fifteen minutes, twenty minutes? They instantly say, "How much do you charge for a phone?" I'm like, "What?" People charge you to talk to them real quick. Like, I'm pulling up on the phone like, uh. Just wait till after this interview, uh, brother. All right, talk to him. Talk to him about it. Your tone is going to change. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's going to be overwhelming. When it gets to that point, like when it seriously gets overwhelming, then yeah, I got to But maybe I have like group. So, okay, so. But that's what I'm saying. But this is how I just feel like sometimes somebody might just need a couple of minutes with somebody to get them to their next level. Yeah. You feel me? Because I feel like I needed that. Yeah. I just needed somebody to just say, hey, man, give me 10 minutes of your time. I can get you to your next level. With them peppers on that motherfucker look way better than that cheese pizza. So, yeah, I publicly ate pork in front of the Muslim niggas in uh, the imam Omar Sharif. Yeah, so ever since then, I've said, yeah, fuck that shit. <laughs> I was playing anyway. Yeah, my mama Jesus loved it. I really loved Jesus. I was just being rebellious because I was mad at God for letting me get locked up for killing that white man. Uh-huh. Yeah, I wasn't no real motherfucking Muslim. And don't no real Muslim blow theyself up like the real Muslim. 
Them the real motherfucking Muslims. Yeah, I ain't gonna lie. I be, I don't, I don't know what they teaching them, but whatever it is, it's, it's some shit. Cause I don't know no other religion that'll kill themselves. Yeah. For, these these, for these what black they Muslim, these niggas just playing. These niggas just angry at their daddies and and barking at white folk. You ain't never seen none of these Muslim niggas blow up a car. Yeah, they don't even know. dedicated for real. Yeah, like. yeah, them niggas just sell newspapers and fruits and wear bow ties. Them other Muslims don't even wear bow ties. Yeah, them other white boy Muslims and long real Muslims, they don't even wear bow ties. They wear dresses. <laughs> choose not to. Um, the other thing that it would tell you is it would, it would say something about whether, about the size of teams as well. I mean, it would seem to argue, I would think, um, although maybe not, it says it's really about the structure of, of teams, that to the extent that you can keep things that, um, that are as flat as possible, I think you minimize the damage caused by um, hierarchies. Hi, thanks for coming to speak. So I just started in people operations about a month ago. And since I've been here, I've had a lot of people recommend uh, Strength Finder and other books like that. And I've taken a look at it and I can't help but think that things like that are kind of, uh, as the great skeptic James Randi said, flim flam, mm -hmm. um, or like modern day uh, pseudo social science. And I'm wondering what, if you have any insight into those, because I know companies spend a lot of money buying those kinds of books for their yeah. employees. I have, uh, I have to confess I've never read any of those. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, um, I know that they're very successful. Um, in, sell, in sales or in what they set out to in do? In sales. Yeah, okay. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I guess I would only say, it, it should. It's interesting, though, that there is such a hunger for that kind of thing. You know, people. I always say this: people are experience rich and theory poor. Mm -hmm. That most people necessarily um, lack access to organizing principles in their life. Um, if you're not immersed in the world of academia and you don't have the leisure to produce, to follow, and acquire grand theories, you don't have theories to explain things. So whenever there is someone comes along with an explanatory mechanism for something that is that your experience rich in, it's enormously attractive. Um, so that you know if that's a lousy if Strength Finder is lousy, it's incumbent on us just to come up with better and more sophisticated ways of um, but it's it's clear that there is a massive demand for something um, to allow people to organize their experience. Hey, Malcolm. My name is Mike. Thanks for being here. Um, my question is kind of going back to the value of elite institutions again. Um, so, so you talk about how someone who goes to Harvard, someone who goes to University of Tennessee, 
they are intrinsically going to do the same if they're, um, you know, on the same intelligence level. So I guess my question is, you know, you hear you're kind of the average of the five people you hang around. You surround yourself with people who are smarter than you. You will naturally elevate your level. Do you believe in that or do you believe that's kind of, you know, it seems like your theory is, is kind of uh, puts the merits towards that. You know, yeah. thought process. Well, there's a, so- a couple of things. One is that um, one of the implications of that argument is that there are a lot more very able people at uh, 